Hello and welcome to this episode of Parley, the Hindu's weekly podcast in which we take up questions of public importance and get inputs from experts. I'm Aratra Kabhomik, your host for today, and the question for this week is: Should an All India Judicial Service, commonly known as the AIJS, be set up? Article 312 of the Constitution, as amended by the 42nd Amendment, provides for the creation of an AIJS at the district judge level through a resolution adopted by the Rajya Sabha with two-thirds majority and a parliamentary law. In the same way that the Union Public Service Commission conducts a central recruitment exam and assigns successful candidates to cadres, the recruitment of judges of the subordinate judiciary is being proposed to be made central. following which they'll be assigned to states this idea has been mooted and discussed in the past and has also been a part of the union government's official policy for years however as divulged by the law ministry in the ongoing winter session of the parliament there has been no consensus on the proposal either from the high courts or the state governments recently in fact president draupadi murmu in her inaugural address at the supreme court's constitution day celebration has also advocated for such an all india judicial service saying that this will diversify the judiciary by increasing representation from marginalized social groups to discuss this contentious issue we have with us today mr alok prasanna kumar from vidhi center for legal policy he is its co-founder and also the lead for vidhi karnataka we also have with us mr bharat chuk who is an advocate based in delhi and a former civil judge Mr Chug also topped the Delhi Judicial Services examination in the year 2013. I welcome you both. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you Aratrika, my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Beginning with the first question, according to the 2022 India Justice Report, only 35% of subordinate court judges are women. and none of the states have been able to meet the quota for the st sc and also the obc categories at the district court level do you think that such a policy like the aijs will be able to facilitate the inclusion of people from marginalized communities as well as women in the subordinate judiciary if i may please start with mr alok first thanks aratrika i think uh, just to sort of uh, clarify here for our listeners the subordinate judiciary has almost always had reservations in one form or the other uh, i think uh, starting with sc st then obc reservations and also of late uh, reservation for women the reservation for women has been horizontal cutting across categories i would like to clarify that in fact all states have been doing better over the years uh, if you see our data in the context of representation of women in the subordinate judiciary the number has been increasing and it has been increasing at a very encouraging pace i wouldn't be surprised if by the end of this decade nearly 50% irrespective of level of reservation nearly 50% of um, women in the subordinate judiciary i actually don't like the term i'll call it the district judiciary to include the magistrate level and the district judge level they will be women now it it might take some more time perhaps for scheduled caste scheduled tribe uh, communities to get that level of representation or at least proportionate to the population but the key barrier is the entrance exam the entrance exam unfortunately in this country we are of the view that an entrance exam is the only way to come up with merit and 
you know, unless you have cleared an entrance exam, you're not considered meritorious. Preparing for the entrance exam is extremely time consuming. The exam itself is difficult in a lot of ways. And if you don't have the time and the energy to prepare for it, you will not be able to clear it. There is the additional requirement at the district judge level, right? The magistrate level, the junior, it's called different names across the country. But the lowest level, the entrance is almost straight out of law school or law college. Whereas district judge level, constitutionally required to have seven years of practice. The seven years of practice becomes a problem for a lot of people because law as a profession is very difficult if you do not have connections within the profession already. And it's doubly difficult if you come from underprivileged castes and communities where it's a very hostile atmosphere. It's for women also. So when a lot of high courts place requirements that you have to have appeared in X number of cases or uh, have had an active practice for Y number of years, it automatically raises barriers to entry, especially for women and other excluded classes. So to me, Unless these two fundamental aspects are questioned and re-examined, this idea of the entrance exam being the only way to assess merit and the requirement of having a, uh, defining practice in a certain way, uh, I think simply shifting to an AIJS will not address these problems. The position of a district judge and a magistrate is very, very coveted. These are positions of prestige. These are position, These are constitutional positions, if you honestly ask me. The challenge is not that nobody's applying for them. The challenge is not people don't think these are good positions to have. The challenge is the barriers which have been raised are so high, it is very difficult for excluded communities to clear them. And I don't see an AIJS necessarily addressing any of these concerns. Right, right, Mr. Alok. Uh, Mr. Chug, what are your views on this? Oh, I completely agree with Alok. Uh, I don't think AIJS would be the solution, as he rightly said. The state governments and the state high courts, which are currently conducting the, the various exams, have been doing their bit uh, for, for affirmative action on multiple, multiple fronts. And I'm, you know, from personal experience, I can say for the last few years, the number of women who've uh, joined the judicial services, both at the uh, judicial services level, which is where you get inducted as a magistrate or a civil judge and the higher judicials, we've had more women than men. For instance, you know, in my batch back in 2013, when I joined in as a judge, we had a batch of 29 judges out of which roughly 20, uh, if, I, if my memory serves me right, were women. And that's a very, very healthy trend. Uh, I don't see how AIJS would improve this. Uh, I, I see the intent of the question where you say that uh, only 35% for the time being uh, in the trial judiciary are women and some of the marginalized communities. But that that basically is because of a number of factors, really. You know, for instance, if you see uh, law traditionally uh, has been uh, considered to be something that uh, traditional families or conventional families may not really think as a, as a very safe or good career option for women. And that's fast changing, uh, fortunately. And uh, these changes would, I think, uh, operating societally would take some time for, for them to trickle down because the more judges, women judges that come in at the entry level, the more district judges that you'd have, the more high court judges or women that you'd have. So it would take some time. I don't see uh, AIGS as, uh, you know, uh, being a major uh, change from the existing setup. There's one point where, we, you know, AIGS may really help is that, and Alok would agree, they've done far more uh, work on this, that uh, different, uh, you know, states provide for different uh, uh, 
uh, different patterns of reservation. For instance, there are certain states which do not have an OBC quota at all. There are certain states uh, which do not have an SC quota, for instance, or a differently abled quota or women quota. So I think some amount of rationalization uh, can help. Uh, of course, with the final word being with the state government and the state high courts, because, you know, at the end of the day, they are the best judges of, uh, you know, uh, the, the disadvantages at the state level and uh, the marginalized communities who are specific to that state. You know, we, we, we've seen that, you know, a community which may be a part of the majority on, on a central level or in a different state may be marginalized in a given state. And that is the reason. Uh, you reckon uh, backward uh, classes sometimes on the on the level of the state. So uh, ultimately, with some amount of uh, you know check and balance, but at the end of the day, uh, the state is the best judge of uh, you know who needs to be really helped there and how. And uh, I don't see AIGS making a very big significant change there. Right. Uh, coming to one of the criticisms of this policy is that since cases in the district courts are primarily argued in regional languages, uh, such a central recruitment exam will create an impediment for candidates who are not well versed with the local languages and customs. A contrarian viewpoint is, of course, that civil servants are able to overcome such a barrier through intensive language training. So what is your take on this? Mr. Chug, if you could please proceed with you first. Um. I think uh, this is this is a. I'll, I'll answer the first part of your question first. Uh, not only are the cases argued in the regional language, we need to remember that there is vast documentation that's there in regional languages. Uh, you know, in in front of civil judges, for instance, when they are deciding civil matters, revenue matters, agricultural land related matters, and these are these are things that a person from outside the state who doesn't understand the language may not be able to absorb. And uh, also, you know, uh, we need to remember that a civil judge or a magistrate is sometimes the first and the last interface that a litigant has with the judiciary. Because in the higher courts, you normally have your lawyers arguing for you before the high court and the Supreme Court. But before the trial court, it's the litigant himself or herself who appears, pleads the case, interacts with the judge, gives evidence, and therefore an understanding of the local language. And not only that, the understanding of the local dialect, the accent of the local people giving evidence is is very, very important. We've also seen colloquial terms being used in different parts of the country for different processes uh, on the civil as well as the criminal side. And there, I think somebody understanding the language is a, is a big, uh, you know, uh, advantage. And in fact, you know, uh, a necessity. Over and above this, I feel that the fact, you know, one point is being able to understand the case and the language. The other is also there are various revenue local laws which are applicable in different parts of the country. And, you know, sometimes even custom plays a very important role in judicial decision making. So there, uh, somebody being from a particular state may may really help. Uh, but then again, you know, on your contrarian perspective that there can be, uh, there can be intensive language training. Uh, my counterpart to that is that uh, you know that that would take an enormous amount of effort. Number one, uh, you know, you we are already trying to train judges on the existing curriculum and adding something on top of that. Uh, you know, we need to really ask ourselves the question: What is the relative gain, and what is and and at what cost? So that needs to be really borne in mind. And I think at the end of the day. Uh, you'll have to see if, for example, six months, one year, you, you train the judge in a different language. And if you're talking about an all India judicial service, there's another transfer around the corner. Would you train the judge once again? Or, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes even within the given the diversity that we have, even within one state, 
or one region you may have multiple languages that you will have to train the officers in is that sort of expense given how little we spend on uh, you know the, the judiciary as a whole is that justifiable or not and given the fact that you know at the end of the day we are deciding lives here both on the criminal side and civil side and the smallest mistake in terms of understanding the issues or the evidence uh, may be irreparable and that is where i think uh, our our job is uh, even more onerous or in that sense uh, the the ability to understand the language is greater in our case even even than the than the bureaucrats right uh, mr alok your views on this please i worry that a lot of this sounds like how the colonial uh, establishment justified putting englishmen well, largely english men only in charge of uh, the bureaucracy and uh, even the judiciary for that matter so language you can learn it what's the big deal they had training institutes they had that but i want to question that idea itself you know like i think implicit in this assumption is that the ias has been a wonderful institution and has served this nation very well i don't think so uh, there have been very good ias officers as individuals who have contributed individually in a very good way the institution itself i am not sure that is the best model we should be following because it's the the way it is structured the kind of powers we give the way the institution recruits and promotes people up i am not so sure that that is a model we want to replicate i would rather and as bharat has also pointed out i would rather that you know people who have good local context local knowledge serve local needs they're not they won't be perfect nobody is all people are uh, fallible but institutionally and as a system people shouldn't feel that this judiciary is something being imposed upon them from delhi people should feel that this is an institution that you know uh, is ours yes there is a long way to go to make the even the uh, district judiciary more democratic in some ways and more catering to the needs of the people but uh, i want to fundamentally question this idea that it's just a language you can pick it up what is there that comes from i think this notion that there are a superior class of people who can go and work anywhere because they're so smart so talented so brilliant and the institution is served rather than the people being served if they just know enough of the local language to keep the people happy i i worry that a lot of this justification sounds like that you know and yeah there are of course the pragmatic concerns all of which bharat has pointed out right right Uh, so, according to the data released this year by the Law Ministry, a total of five thousand three hundred eighty-eight posts of judicial officers are lying vacant in the subordinate judiciary. And one of the advantages that is uh, quite often stated about uh, such a policy is that it would effectively tackle the issue of judicial vacancies. Uh, Mr. Alok, what is your opinion on this? I don't know the current data, but I recall that I had written for the Hindu eight years ago, I think. and uh, i looked at i compared the judicial vacancies with the vacancies in the all india services i think currently the judicial vacancies and as a percentage of the total number of judges is about 20 25% the all india services was also in the region of 20 22% it's not that much of a difference there isn't anything inherently superior in a centralized system that will make it necessarily more efficient in filling up the vacancies a uh, problem has been and i think bharat will be more familiar because i'm sure he's handled a lot of cases in this front is that the ability to conduct these examinations in a timely manner is a problem nationwide 
it's not only the judiciary which suffers this it's not only the states which suffer this uh, in fact as per the latest data put out by the union government itself out of 4 million central posts civilian central posts 1 million approximately uh, 9 9 and a half lakhs or so are vacant that is also a vacancy position of 25% so somehow this number of 25% is recurring everywhere we go and to me it tells us that this is a larger systemic problem this is not unique to the district judiciary it's not unique to the high courts which are and state governments which oversee this appointment this is a larger problem in the way that recruitment takes place in the way in which you know you have the process of one in, uh, write it an exam second exam interview notification eventually it gets challenged sometimes there is a paper leak sometimes everything has to be restarted these are larger systemic problems i don't think there is one quick fix to it that by saying that if it is done centrally everything will be sorted out i think even centrally also there we are seeing exactly the same problem of vacancies mr chuk your views on this yes no i completely agree and uh, uh, we've seen the number of uh, vacancies with the, the all india services as well so i don't see how this can be a solution also uh, you know if you look at and and aijs has not taken any concrete shape the idea has been talked about for some time without somebody making it concrete for us to be able to study the merits and demerits but from what's broadly been talked about for the last few decades is that it attempts to induct judges to the cadre of district judges and the attempt is to induct people or lawyers between 35 to 45 and made them district and additional district judges now now there is a problem here uh you know what 35 to 45 year old practicing lawyer who's who's who spent about 15 20 years in the profession is quite likely to be uh, well established and well entrenched in the profession or his or her state you know with a steady stream of briefs and if you make it an all india service which is again transferable they would not particularly like to leave their state and their family as well so again if the idea was to have a very big talent pool and the best talent to to induct as district judges then we'll be losing out on that as well because it's it's all india uh, so that's that's one thing that that possibly has been uh, lost sight of secondly if uh, you do not attract the best talent again in that in that uh, 35 to 45 five year old age group then again you are defeating the the very objective with which uh, you want to come up with the uh, with the igs right uh, mr chuk drawing from your experience as being a part of the district judiciary uh, do you think that such a national service for judges would be an attractive proposition for young lawyers especially considering that we often see a uh, law graduates young law graduates from elite law schools opting for let's say law firm or litigation instead of taking the judicial services examinations also adding to that uh, what would the career progression look like because uh, the other thing that is often pointed out is that the number of district judges elevated to the high courts is often much lower than those from the bar yes see uh, i don't think from the and i've i've had the great fortune of uh, discussing this with with lawyers and law students across the country uh, i don't think a law student or a young lawyer wanting to be a judge uh, is particularly fascinated by the fact that whether they are serving an all india service or a state service more often than not in fact 
if uh, there is a prestigious state service, the inclination would always be to join that and be be closer to family and all that comes with uh, being in one state. So I don't think it would make a material difference on and and we'll get to attract better people. We understand that uh, from the from from the law schools perceived it to be the best, so to speak. You, we don't have a lot of young lag, law graduates coming in. You know, people are preferring uh, uh, law firm jobs, whether in India or outside, instead of the judicial services examination. Now, in order to, I think cater to that problem, we'll have to work on three or four, you know, short bullet points. One, of course, is the right uh, work conditions. You know, uh, we talk about Delhi and some of the metros, but the position elsewhere in the country is is very, very problematic in terms of even access to basic infrastructural facilities. We've seen, uh, you know, women judges not having access to, to a toilet in, in some of the states and districts. So you need to really improve. You need to provide some basic facilities which are befitting the dignity of a judge and for them to be able to perform their function. Second is, I think it's, it's time also to... Uh, look at a better pay structure as well you know uh, a successful lawyer on on the private side uh, easily makes in one appearance on a or in a day what what a what a trial court judge makes in a month so you know you, know, you need to really rationalize i understand that even if you bring in aijs the, the 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 pay or the remuneration is not likely to be more than what the all india services uh, get paid but you really need to take a relook at this uh, situation is much better, of course, than how it used to be. Now, judges are being paid at par with the IAS and IPS comparable uh, services. But again, this needs to be borne in mind if we are to attract the best, best uh, talent out there. The third point is that you need to make this, uh, you know, the, the job profile of a young civil judge or a magistrate more mentally stimulating and engaging. You know, more often than not, uh, the job satisfaction that a young judge you know, at 23, 24, uh, looks at is to be able to learn laws, to be able to engage with laws, to be able to, you know, contribute meaningfully. Uh, and many of these, uh, you know, opportunities, they are deprived of because of uh, some specific jurisdictions that we have. For instance, you know, a lot of young judges have written to me from across the country that we are serving in a capacity of a traffic court for the last three, three and a half years. Now, I do understand that somebody has to do those cases too, but a more equitable distribution of those cases and not uh, having these very, very special courts for young judges for very, very long durations uh, is going to help because currently that is also leading to disillusionment of a lot of judges. So that I think is uh, is something that needs to be looked at again for this to be an attractive option where youngsters are given an opportunity to also add to themselves as students of law and have more learning opportunities. And lastly, you know, you touched a very important point on on prospects. You know, uh, we, we've seen traditionally uh, the high court appointments largely uh, and the Supreme Court appointments have been from the bar and uh, for a, for a young civil judge entering the system, uh, it's very, very difficult and only a very, very small number of uh, judicial officers make it to the high court. And, you know, we literally have not more than a handful, a couple of examples of uh, district judges who've ever made it to the Supreme Court. So I think that also needs to be looked at. I think trial court judges carry uh, a wealth of experience on the trial side in civil as well as criminal cases and uh, looking at uh, elevating or giving opportunities to more of them is also going to make the service a more attractive option for young lawyers. Right. Uh, Mr. Lok, uh, coming to you, one of the common rebuttals to the creation of the AIJS is that it is an affront to federalism. 
if such a policy were to be implemented let's say how can we ensure that the state governments as well as the high courts have a say some sort of say let's say in the recruitment process uh, it will be very difficult because if it, and in the ias basically it's the person all that the state does is to give the requirement we need x number of officers this year or we need y number of officers this year. that's only the ias and the ips rather uh with other uh, services it's not and and the forest service also irs is fully centralized you get posted wherever you get posted so it's there i, I mean in a, in a sense what yes the way that it happens is that you are under the disciplinary control of the state government state government internally decides your posting state government internally ensures that your service conditions are such and such and so on but the choice of who you want what kind of person you want all of that is not really in the hands of the state government uh that's the problem with centralization i think additionally here you are having two uh, okay on the one hand the high court will of course perhaps determine transfers postings and so on uh but in a sense they will also pass possibly they'll also possibly have disciplinary control over the others but it in a it's, it's a suboptimal solution because today why should the high courts accept it today they are in control of everything from the recruitment to the eventual uh, either a, a promotion or the tra- uh, transfer or the elevation of that particular uh, civil judge why will they give up stuff at either end and just maintain some disciplinary control the state government will have even less state government will just be paying their salaries that's about it or state government may sort of occasionally take on board one of them to be like the justice secretary of the state or a law secretary of the state or something like that so in a in a way i don't see uh, uh, what uh, state ca- state government and the high courts uh, role will be beyond this small matters here and there and uh, the problem again is that we assume again right it's that uh, only if the center does it will it be a good job if the state does it it will probably be bad i think there is no basis for that i think i would say the other way around that perhaps the all india services also need to be rethought and you know if, if at the end of the day people are still going to courts those 5 crore cases aren't like you know reducing because uh, nobody is doing any work it's because every year 4 crore cases are being filed in the courts people are going to courts so in a way this is i guess there are problems with the system but it doesn't require some kind of fundamental overturning of everything to say let's centralize the whole thing it should be fine i don't think that works and uh, in a sense i've always said this i don't understand what is the problem that the aijs was supposed to address uh, i am very suspicious of parts of the constitution which were introduced in the 42nd amendment it was done in controversial circumstances by a government which had no legitimacy in that sense at that moment which had which had put uh, entire opposition in jail and wanted to preserve its rule i don't know why this has been removed which has which has been kept pending in the constitution i don't know why this issue keeps coming up again and again everybody touts this as a solution but i ask again and again what is the particular problem because as this conversation has revealed whatever problems there are there are much more simpler straightforward obvious long lasting solutions right in front of us right uh proceeding to the last question for this discussion currently the independence of the district judges from the state governments is guaranteed by the fact that high courts play a significant role in their appointment transfer and removal 
if the AIGS were to be created, how can we ensure that such a service is shielded from the influence of both the central government and the state government so that there is some form of judicial independence? Mr. Chog, if you could please proceed first. No, that is uh, that is indeed the biggest problem here. Um, see, you know, from, from, from my own experience, uh, uh, and this is true for judges across the country, a civil judge or a district judge today, although the appointment letter comes from the governor of the state, essentially the process right from the start till the end is something that the High Court conducts. And uh, you are subject to the superintendence and control and supervision of the High Court. In fact, decisions relating to, as you said, transfer, removal, assessment, everything is taken by the High Court. And to, that, to a great extent, insulates us from any form of external pressure, interference, uh, to the extent that it can. You know, I personally could pass a lot of decisions that I that I could back in the day because I knew that, you know, uh, the, the the governor of the state or even the chief minister of the state could not really uh, take any any action if, if uh, my decision was to be uh, unsympathetic to the government. And we had that sort of independence and courage. And, you know, this is also all the more important because the government, and we need to remember, is the, is the biggest litigant before courts right from the civil judge to the Supreme Court. And uh, this can be the state government or this can be the union government. And since they are the biggest litigants, uh, it, it is very problematic if the litigant were to decide who is to be appointed a judge and for what considerations. Now, we've indeed protected, uh, you know, or, or to, the, to the extent it has worked. You know, we've uh, the high courts and the Supreme Courts from, uh, you know, interference by, by, uh, by, by judicial decisions which say that it is for the chief justice and the collegium to find to take a final call on appointment, and uh, the, the the language in the constitution which says in consultation has been read at concurrence. So that, to a great extent, has uh, ensured independence as far as high courts and supreme courts are concerned. And I think the present system, where the state, uh, you know, the governor appoints the district judge or the civil judge, but everything else uh, is governed or regulated by the high court, is a system that has uh, that has worked. Uh, uh, you know, well, and I would not want to change a system that has worked well in a lot of ways until you have a better alternative. And this uh, AIJS doesn't seem to be uh, the better alternative at all. Uh, you know, the way uh, the 42nd Amendment, Alok spoke about it, ha- was introduced, Article 312 of the Constitution, how the administration of justice, which was essentially a, a state subject, was uh, taken to the concurrent list. Um, you know, all of this is constitutionally suspect. Possibly all of this has not been challenged because the AIJS never got implemented. But potentially this would not pass constitutional scrutiny. This is something that if the Rajya Sabha were to take that step uh, to have AIJS uh, without a proper constitutional amendment, then uh, this is something that may not pass muster because of it being violative, arguably, of the basic structure of the constitution, of which very, very important aspects are the, the independence of judiciary and and federalism so i don't i don't see and i completely agree with alok uh, you know and as their paper rightly says uh, you know this is this is possibly a solution uh, in search of a problem mr alok any concluding thoughts on this um nothing much uh, i i sort of uh, approach this uh, issue from the angle that uh, like i've said there are multiple issues uh, with our uh, district judiciary and uh, almost none of them, none of them will really be addressed by an All India Judicial Service. I think what is really the need of the R is to find ways 
to ensure that there is like a smooth career path for those who enter the subordinate the, the district judiciary to the high court or to the supreme court as bharat has also pointed out and i think the real pressing need is especially in the areas outside the metros uh i think uh, there is a serious lack of infrastructure conditions of work are difficult I, it's it's quite admirable how people cope in these my colleagues who had gone to the to various districts across the country you know they've come back with such tales of i would frankly have said i would have quit in one day if i had to deal with this i would have quit in one day but there are a lot of people uh, who are really putting it everything because they passionately believe in this and they see that this is a career to take forward and i think they need to be supported right they need to be supported to stay within the system to stay engaged with the system to kind of say that you know we think you are as much constitutional court judges as the chief justice of india the only difference is that perhaps the chief justice has more experience than you and is therefore in that position but i believe that every single judge in this country is a constitutional court is heading a constitutional court and we should give them that level of respect that level of support that level of independence and ensure that their work goes on well this whole question of who will appoint and who will control and who will this i think is not getting us anywhere i think i, I it happens once a year and my humble request to a lot of politicians is just stop talking about it is not helping anyone neither are you putting pushing the debate forward nor are we finding any effective solutions for the problems that we have Thank you Mr Alok and Mr Chok I certainly found this discussion to be very insightful and I'm sure our readers and listeners will feel the same way Thank you once again for joining us Thank you very much Thank you